Hello, everyone. Welcome to LJN Radio. I'm your host, Tim Muma. This is Moving Up the Ladder, and in this particular episode, we're talking about negotiating, more specifically how science and psychology can help you become a better negotiator. To talk about this, we've enlisted an expert, Art Markman. He's the professor of psychology and marketing at the University of Texas at Austin. He also has a new book out called Smart Change, and I encourage you to check that out as well. Art, thanks a lot for coming on the show today. Oh, it's great to be here. Thanks. Now, negotiation, uh, we get a lot of questions about this when it comes to, uh, as you alluded to in an article you wrote, whether it be the actual job offer, if it's a promotion. Of course, we can take it into our personal lives as well. I wanted to start off by asking you, is negotiation, in most cases, a win-lose proposition? Is that something that's maybe a little bit of a myth? I mean, how would you look at that idea? Yeah, that's a great question. And my feeling is that we often cast negotiations in a win-lose way right. that actually gets us in trouble. So <laughs> the standard metaphor that we use for negotiation is, you know, you and I are negotiating with each other. So we're sitting across the table from each other and I'm looking at you, you're looking at me. And we, we conceptualize our agreement as being somewhere on the table in between us. Mm. And what that means is that the closer that agreement moves to me, by of necessity, the further it's gotten from you. Okay. Right. And vice versa. Right. So we're trying to pull that agreement as close to us as possible. <laughs> and that means that you need to lose. And one of the things that I recommend to help reframe the way you think about negotiations is to imagine that you and your negotiating partner are actually walking side by side together hmm. forward through some landscape. The agreement is somewhere out there. And because you're going there together, that agreement doesn't necessarily need to be one that's only of benefit to one of you. Right. In fact, you might find these real win-win situations when you recognize that treating your negotiation partner more as a partner and less as an adversary can really help you to find the best possible agreement. Is that something that's difficult for people to really picture and understand? Because especially, again, if you're talking about maybe you're looking to get a job, of course you want to get you know, that compensation or maybe it's something that's a little more you know, like compensation time or flex time, that kind of thing. Is there a way to really shift that focus and say, you know, this is something we're in for the long haul? Or how would you phrase it to somebody who just might not understand that concept? When you're negotiating for a job, you know, one of the things that you have to remember is that while at one level, the people you're negotiating with are trying to minimize their expenditure on you. Mm -hmm. If they're bringing you into their company, they want you as a part of their community. And nobody wants to have an employee start uncomfortable with the deal that they struck. Sure. And in fact, we all know that the cost of hiring a new person is far more than, than the price of keeping someone for a long time. And so, you know, really casting this as this is what I need in order for me to be comfortable in the new environment, in, in order for me to feel like I am able to give myself really to the company that I'm working for. You know, I think, I think again, if you think of this as we are moving forward together, right. I think you can even say it that way. You can say, look, I'm, I'm excited about the opportunity to join this community. And I, you know, up front just need to make sure that I'm, that what I'm doing is creating a position, creating the parameters of my job that will allow us to develop a long-term relationship. You know, the fact is that you learn a lot about the company that you're about to work for by that negotiation. 
Right. If they're willing to negotiate in that way and to and to really treat you as a partner in that negotiation, that bodes well for the way that your work life is going to go even after you get there. And honestly, if they're nickel and diming you in the in the negotiation process, who's to think that that's going to stop when you need resources to continue a project or anything else? That's a very interesting point and something I'm sure a lot of listeners wouldn't necessarily have thought of. So I appreciate you bringing that to the table uh, to start off here with. Again, the idea of negotiation, and it doesn't have to just be in that setting of getting a job. Of course, a lot of our listeners may think of it that way. I wanted to ask you then about anchors. When we're talking about negotiation, what exactly is an anchor and how does it play a role in any of our negotiations, really? When you're negotiating over something, a lot of times the things that you're negotiating about have a value that's a little bit ambiguous. Mm-hmm. I mean, look, you know, even in the labor market, I mean, what am I worth? You know, in some ways, I'm worth what someone's willing to pay me. Mm-hmm. And so there's, there is some ambiguity there. So how do we begin to figure out what, you know, what I'm worth and where the starting point is for negotiation? Now, a lot of research in psychology going back for the last 40 years has shown that one of the things that happens when we start putting numbers to things, for example, dollar values on the value of something, is that we often find numbers that are out there in the environment that you're in when you're, say, negotiating, that end up providing the initial basis for an estimate. So, for example, a study that came out recently showed that when people are negotiating, say, say you're negotiating over a job and you've already got an offer and that offer has, is, has offered to pay you a particular salary, right. you may use that initial salary as an anchor for the, for the initial request you make for a salary. So mm-hmm. you might say, well, this job has offered me $50,000 a year. I want to get more. So I'm going to anchor. I'm going to start with that anchor and then adjust and I'll adjust upward because I'd like to get more. (laughs) So I'm going to ask for $57,000. Now, the problem is that, or the potential problem is because you're anchoring on this other value, you're not necessarily thinking about all of the other factors that might contribute to your value in that situation. And, And in that case, you might actually, if the initial offer you got from some other firm is too low, you might actually ask for too little hmm. because you're anchoring on a figure that, that isn't necessarily the only way of assessing your value. And so it's useful to do some other things. I mean, it's really useful to do your homework, to find out, well, what, what are people being paid in this region for this kind of a job? What's the going rate right now? How desperate is the labor market right now? Right. You know, if you're living in a place that has 3% unemployment, that's a very different situation to be in than, than a place where the un- unemployment rate locally might be 9%. So you know, taking all those factors into account and using that information to set your initial offer rather than just anchoring on an easily available number can help you to be more effective in negotiating. Along the lines of that anchor, and let's flip the script a little bit and take it from the employer's point of view. And again, I'm not bringing this up in any way to to say that an an employer is doing something in poor taste, but if they are saying, talking to a candidate who currently has a job, so it would be a, a passive job seeker that we would call it, versus somebody who doesn't currently have a job, so they're unemployed, is that something that can really tilt the balance in terms of setting that anchor and understanding, you know, this person may be more desperate and be willing to go lower versus somebody who currently has a job? Does that apply in this case? Absolutely. I think that we're always looking for some degree of advantage. I mean, as much as it would be great for every negotiation to be a partnership, Mm -hmm. we also do want to get a good deal. And so, 
you know, to the extent that you feel like you have leverage in a negotiation because you're in a more favorable position, right. that certainly makes you less willing to part with your own resources in, in that negotiation. And so, you know, look, a, a company that knows that it's trying to attract someone from uh, another firm and knows that that person is currently employed knows that they're going to have to really come through with a stellar offer because they're asking someone to make a significant change in their life, mm -hmm. whereas somebody who's not currently working is is more motivated to, to ultimately take something. And it, it takes a lot of fortitude for somebody who's not currently working to be offered what would be a good job at a salary that isn't acceptable to them or at benefit terms that aren't acceptable to them, and for them to walk away from that offer. Right. So companies certainly know that they have the potential to uh, to get a better deal from some uh, from someone who isn't currently working. But again, you know, the company has to decide what its most important outcome is. You know, a lot of times we tend to think about negotiations narrowly in terms of the particular negotiation that's going on. So I'm negotiating over salary. So right now, that's really the focus. Whereas some people really do take the long view and say, you know, in addition to this idea that we may be walking forward together, that this is not the last time that, that we're going to have to negotiate together about something. And so I am setting the terms of our relationship through the way that I negotiate with you. And so if I choose to lowball you, that influences the nature of, of our relationship for the rest of the time that we work together. And, and so, you know, companies have to be, have to recognize that getting a good deal is not the only important thing when negotiating with a new potential employee. I think it's a great perspective, uh, especially, as you said, for the employers out there who may be in that situation, or maybe it is somebody who's already within your organization. You're talking about promotions, um, that long view, as you mentioned. I think that's a great perspective for people to at least hear and understand that it does play a large role. I wanted to bring it to that a little bit. And the idea of focus, uh, I thought it was very interesting the way you mentioned focus in a negotiation and how that plays a role. Can you fill the listeners in a little bit on what you talk about with that? So let's think about this. Most of the time in a negotiation, you have some resource or some number of resources at your disposal that you are essentially trying to trade off with your negotiation partner who also has some resources. So if I'm the employer, I have salary money, I have benefits, I have things like flexible time, mm -hmm. and you have your commitment to, to be putting your labor into my company that's the resource that, that's associated with this negotiation. Now, at any given moment in that negotiation, I could be focusing on my resources. So I could be focusing on the money I have to give up or the benefits, or I could be focusing on your resources, what it is that you're going to bring to me mm. if you work in my company. The more that I focus on my own resources, the more conservative I get with those resources. Okay. So if I'm focused on money, then I'm going to part with as little money as possible. And if I'm focused on, on you know, the, benef the potential benefits or flex time or things like that, I'm going, to be as, I'm going to be as conservative as possible with those. But if I'm focused on what you're bringing to me, so I'm focused on your resource, then I might be more inclined to give up a little bit more mm -hmm. and to really think about, well, what is it that I'm getting for the expenditure of my resources? And what's, what's important about this really is that if you begin to keep track of how a negotiation is going, if you begin to feel like a deal is slipping away from you, perhaps because you are giving up too much, then returning the focus back to your own side of the table, re returning the focus back to what you're giving up may help you to kind of get control of that again. But on the other hand, if you feel like 
perhaps you're, you're really having a hard time seeing whether it's worthwhile giving up enough resources to get what the other person is offering, for example, to hire this particular person. Right. Focusing a little bit more on them may actually make it easier for you psychologically to sweeten the deal that you're, that you're creating. So then what value is there in any negotiation of asking questions to find out what the other person's focus is? Is that a little too deep, too complicated, or is that something that can help with your negotiation as well? I'm a big believer that, the, that ultimately the best negotiation is one in which everybody walks away feeling as though they've gotten something of value. Mm-hmm. Right now, this isn't this isn't always true. Obviously, there are certain adversarial negotiation situations. So, you know, if you've ever had a friend who's gone through a divorce, sure. you know, they they always say that the best divorce settlement is the one where everybody walks away angry. <laughs> but that's that's got a, a lot more to do with the emotions that are flowing through right. a divorce. In most business settings, you actually want everyone to walk away somewhat happy. Right for everyone to feel like they got a fair deal. Now, the only way to make that happen, really, is to gather as much information as possible and to really try to encourage a certain degree of openness about negotiations, which I think flies in the face of a lot of people's intuitions about negotiation. A lot of times people feel like, you know, I should hold back as much information as possible because the less you know about what I have, the less you know about what I want, mm-hmm. the better the deal I can get. But in fact, you know, if you think about this more as a partnership and if you can find people to do business with who treat their business as a partnership, they can't help you to get what you want unless they know what you want. Right. And you can't help them get what they want unless you know what they want. And so the more that you ask questions and, you know, one of the things that you can even do in those situations in order to encourage people to divulge some, some information is to lead by talking a little bit about what your ideal outcome is hmm. and sort of create a space in which there's some trust so that the rest of the conversation can focus on an exchange of information that helps everybody to figure out where those win-win situations are. I think you're definitely right. When it comes to a lot of negotiating situations, people are, they kind of pull back. As you said, they don't want to give away too much because there's a thought it's going to be used against them. But I like your perspective in talking about that. Well, if we're really looking at it from a positive negotiating point of view, that in theory, it would help, as you brought up earlier, maybe you're going to give up something in one area, but because you're telling them what you really would like and would want, that it might help. So again, I think this is some great insight. And I think just in us talking about it, people understand why we need experts like you to talk about this stuff, help us walk through it a little bit, and at least give us some ideas on what to do. And that brings us to another area that I thought was very intriguing, and it's the idea of mindsets. And you noted the idea of a doing mindset versus a thinking mindset. Can you just give us a little bit of a, a differentiation between the two and what that might look like when you are negotiating or trying to come away with that best deal possible? It turns out psychologically that we shift back and forth between these two different mindsets. So the thinking mindset, think about the thinking mindset as you're sitting at the negotiating table and you actually lean back a little bit. And what that signals and what that does motivationally is for you is is to say, look, in this moment, I'm taking in information, I'm evaluating the situation, but I'm not really pushing myself towards closure. Mm. I'm not really trying to close the negotiation in this moment. Versus having a doing mindset, which says, all right, enough already. We've talked enough. We've, we've, we've really gone through this. Let's find a deal. And one of the things that's valuable to do in negotiation settings is to recognize that 
you can adopt either of these mindsets and that you can use that to help you to figure out what to do when the negotiation is either going well or not so well. There are times, for example, where you feel like I'm not getting the right deal right now, that this is just, I feel like I'm giving up too much for what I'm getting and I'm being pressured to close the deal. Hmm. You see this in car negotiations, for example. Salespeople will say things like, well, you know, I got somebody else who's looking at the same car. (laughs) That's a tactic that says, come on, get into the doing mindset. Mm -hmm. And that's a good signal in car negotiations, which are are often not, often a little bit more adversarial than perhaps they should be. That's a signal that you're probably not getting the best deal right now because they're really trying to put the screws on to get you to, to be in that doing mindset. And in fact, just getting you to sit in a car and, and begin to feel like it's yours puts you in a mindset of trying to close a deal. In those situations, it can be really helpful to literally and figuratively take a step back and say, you know, I really need to think about this a little bit more. You know, recognize when it comes to things like cars, for example, there's a lot of cars out there and chances are you can get something pretty much identical to the one you're looking at right now uh, if you're willing to wait a week or two. You know, allowing yourself in, in a situation like that to really adopt that thinking mindset and create some distance between you and the final agreement, that's valuable. But I think that there are also times where you really want to lean forward into this and say, all right, you know, we've, we've got enough information. We are really reaching agreement on core components. Now it's time to engage that doing mindset and really push us to a point where everyone feels like it's time to close this deal. Mm-hmm. And that's what we use deadlines for, right. is that there are times, particularly in difficult negotiations, where we might think and think and think and think. And that's where deadline pressure is helpful because it says, okay, at some point, we, we really need to, to, to flip the tables and get something executed. And I think we saw that recently, for example, in the multinational deal over Iranian nuclear weapons, that that deadline was really instrumental in getting people to move from a pure thinking mindset to really getting to a point where they were willing to make specific concessions because the deadline was looming. Right. No, I love that. And uh, we actually did a show on physical distance when it, or psychological distance and talking about the idea of the physical nature, which you're talking about, literally walking away or, or moving away. I think that's very fascinating that our brains work in that way as well. And, and some of the other areas you talked about. Art, we have quickly run out of time here, but I wanted to give you the floor at the end. 30 seconds or a minute or so, what would you offer up to the listeners in terms of maybe just some general takeaway about negotiation and really the science of negotiating as we've been talking about? Yeah. So, I, you know, negotiation is a topic where there's been a lot of great psychological research lately. I think the most important thing to think about is what is the relationship that I'm trying to create with my negotiation partner? And to the extent that this is really a long-term relationship that needs to be built on trust, that needs to flow through the negotiation setting. If you can really create a sense of trust, you can actually push yourself in the long run towards a relationship in which you're not even really negotiating with that person anymore in the long run. There's enough trust to say, look, I, I know what you can do for me. You know that I'm going to be fair with you. And, and you, can, you can save yourself a lot of time and heartache if you develop these successful long-term relationships. Terrific insight today for us, Art. We appreciate you coming on and sharing uh, definitely some information and some strategies that our listeners can use. So thanks once again. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. And with that, we will wrap up this edition of Moving Up the Ladder in our conversation with Art Markman, professor of psychology and marketing at the University of Texas at Austin, and really just discussing the ideas of negotiating and how science and psychology can help you become a better negotiator. 
If you have some feedback about this show or any of our episodes at LJN Radio, just send us an email to ljnradio at localjobnetwork.com, or you can reach out to us on Twitter at the LJN, and feel free to check out all of our episodes. You can find them on iTunes or on our website at ljnradio.com. Once again, I'm your host, Tim Muma. Take care, everybody.